All right, my friends, it is time to get started. Thank you for kind of, if I say, tuning in to the broadcast. <laughs> and um, looking forward to opening our Bibles and studying together. You know, I actually spend hours in like preparation for these talks that I only do for an hour or an hour and a half. And I, I promise you, I get more from these studies than you do. And so even if, if people decide they don't want to listen or don't want to show up, it's fine for me because for me, I'm just studying and studying and studying and it's becoming more clear in my mind what God is trying to do, especially in these last days. And I'm just asking God to do something special in my own heart so that what can what he desires to do for us can be fulfilled, right? Because ultimately that's what he wants. He wants, he wants us to be in union with him so much so that the world can see the power and the greatness in the gospel. And so I'm, I'm excited about tonight's study. Uh, and in a very, in a very real way, in a very real way, I'm, I'm looking forward to, yes, in a very real way, I'm looking forward to delving deep here with you guys. So just looking forward to that. All right. So before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Let's get, ask God's Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide. And as we delve, let's let's go deep. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to talk, guide us. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your grace and mercy. I want to thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. And Lord, as we're just looking at inspiration, as we're looking at your word, we ask, Father, that you write the words in our hearts that we may not sin against you. Father, we take these things for granted at times. We ask for forgiveness for our sins and neglecting the fellowship that you desire to have with us. Teach us to see what you see and understand what you understand, that we will do our part in this present world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, you have your Bibles. Open them with me, if you will, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter one. This is going to be our jump off text. Romans chapter one. And oh, yes. If you are watching on Facebook, please, you know, feel free to start a watch party. Don't uh, keep this to yourself. In fact, I am supposed to share this on one of my pages. So give me a second here as I do that. But it's always good to share what you are, you know, what you are learning with others. Uh, that way you're not keeping it to yourself. We can grow together. And uh, just looking forward to doing that. So then first of all, let me share this in my, uh, let me see here. I'm going to share this. Uh-oh. It's making me do some strange things. On my page, here we go. Love and prophecy. When I do that, share now. Boom. And then I'm going to give me a second here. After I shared it, I am now going to go back here. Go back here. I should have did this a little bit earlier. I didn't think of it till right now. It's a windy day. 
There we go. In the meantime, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And we're looking at verse, here it is. We're looking at verse number 21. So Romans 1, verse 21. And when you have it, you can't, I mean, I can't hear you say amen, but I guess you could type it in. <laughs> Romans 1, verse 21. The Bible says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Okay, so again, just for a moment, I want to highlight the key point here is that because that when they knew God, that when they had a knowledge of him, they did not glorify him. Neither were they thankful, but what did they do instead? They became vain in their imaginations in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened now that that's that's the passage i want to start with now go with me now to the book of genesis and we're going to genesis genesis chapter 2 and i want us to remember in our previous studies we highlighted very clearly that god made man in his own image right we went through that clearly that's genesis 126 god created man in his own image in his own likeness and man had the same characteristics of God in, in, in principle, right? So God was love or God is love. Man was love. God is innocent and pure. Man was innocent and, innocent and pure. So man reflected God in their character. Now, they didn't have God's power, but they had God's character to a certain extent. Now, when they're made like this, with this ability, there's something else that God gave them. And brothers and sisters, this is going to be so key tonight as we are studying. There's something else that God gave them in their experience, in their study, or I'm sorry, in their development that we need to make sure we are clear on from the scripture. So let's go to Genesis. We're Genesis chapter 2. I want you to read with me verse number nine. Genesis chapter two and verse number nine. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So what do we see in this passage? God has a tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. That was the tree of the knowledge of good. Then there's a tree also in the midst of the garden, and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So notice, there's something God places in the garden, and it's good and evil that can be taken from this tree. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. 
For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt, what's it say? Thou shalt surely die. So right now, brothers and sisters, I've given you a passage of scripture that we've read many, many, many times. But we've overlooked the significance of it in a, in a certain way. They're like, there's an angle that we look at it, right? So the tree of knowledge, good and evil, we say that is a bad tree. Like, that's what we say. However, this tree signifies something. And before I get to what it signifies, I wanted to go to another passage. And this passage has confounded many, especially if we perceive God as good, right? If we, see, if we perceive God as good and he's righteous and holy, the next passage we're going to read is going to cause some stress. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 45, and we're looking at verse 7. Isaiah chapter 45, and we're looking at verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Uh-oh. Somebody's stressed right now, right? You may have never read that before, or you, you've, you've never resolved that text before. And so one day I was reading my Bible. This is when I was first starting to, to own my own understanding of God. And as I'm reading my Bible, I came across this passage, and it threw me. Like, it literally threw my mind. I'm like, what do you mean I form the light and create darkness? I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all of these things. Are we saying that God created evil? That bothered me. It bothered me greatly. And so I went to my dad because my dad is a very smart man, a very wise man. So I went to my father and I said, Daddy, about this text right here, man, what do you think about this? And so my dad began to explain to me a principle about love. And I understood it from the moment he said it, from the moment he explained it, I understood it. And this explains also why God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. Now, none of us would argue. I mean, some may argue, but most of us would agree that when we say God is love, there's no question that he is pure, he is holy, there's no evil in him. The Bible says that God does not tempt us with evil. So if the Bible says that God does not tempt us with evil, how is it that he creates evil? How does he, how does he get away with that? How does he get away with putting a tree in the midst of the garden that has good and evil in it? What, what's going on? And so here's, here's the ability. Remember I told you that God created us with love and innocence and purity. We're reflecting his character. But here is something that in the creation of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in this idea that God creates light and darkness and that he creates good and he creates evil, it's in this thought, my friends, that love is manifested. One time I was doing Bible work. I was on my own. I was far away from my family. And as I was far away from my family, I'm feeling all by myself. I, I was preparing for a, a, a Sabbath school class, and I wanted to use an illustration. So what I did was I, I took this cassette tape. I don't know if you guys remember what those are. <laughs> I took a cassette tape, and I recorded my voice on the tape because I wanted to illustrate the point that I'm about to make to you. So I recorded my voice on the tape, and I said something on the tape, and I, and I left the tape, and I forgot about 
what I had put on this safe. And I put it, took it back to my car. I used the illustration in the class, whatever, whatnot. And so one day I'm just feeling extremely lonely. And I'm just in my in the car and I'm just thinking, man, I miss my family. I, I wish I could see them, blah, blah, blah. And then I pull out this tape because I'm going to listen to some music. So I pull out the tape and I put the tape in the cassette player in the car. And on the tape was my voice. And you know what the, the voice said? My voice said, I love you, Andre. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I just started cracking up. I was laughing so hard. And it's funny because the reason why I put that phrase on that tape, because in the class, I was talking about how God created man and that when God created man, he created man with a choice. And if I, if I put the cassette player in a, in a, in a player and it plays and I, and I push play and it tells me, I love you. Does it mean that it loves me? The answer of course is no. If, if you program the robot to say, I love you, it doesn't mean it loves you. Right? So God could have created us and he could have made us automaton. I mean, he could have made us robots and he could have just said, do this. And we would have just done exactly what he said. He could have said, go here. And we would have just did exactly what he said. We could have been made without choice, but the mere fact that God gave us the ability to choose creates the reality of love. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The mere idea that choice is provided and that we can say no to God is an evidence of the greatness of the love of God. I hope you are getting this thing. Because there's so many that say, well, how come there's sin in the world? How come there's all these bad things in the world? How come all these things are happening in the world? The things that are happening in the world are because mankind has chosen to know evil. In fact, you would know that it's God's intent. There was Jesus' intent from the very beginning that we would not even know what sin was. Go with me to Genesis 2. Go back to Genesis 2. Look at this. Genesis 2. It was God's intent that we would not even know what evil was. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse number 9, again, I read to you. Not of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to the water of the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Bedalim and Onyx, and the name of the second is Gihon, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia, and the third, the name of the river is Hedekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man. And put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely, what's it say? Thou shalt surely die. Do you think God intended that men eat from that tree? No. But God put the tree there because he had to provide the ability for man to choose. 
opposite of what God desired. By providing man the opportunity or the privilege to choose, God is love. If he had removed the tree and there was no tree there and all there was was just goodness everywhere and man never had the ability to choose, my friends, then love could not exist truly in the heart of man. So the question now is, how's our choice going? I mean, what, what have we chosen in this present world? I mean, is it working out? Is it good with us? You see, God has allowed us these choices so that we can see. And, and in fact, you know how the text says, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. In the Hebrew, it says, in dying, you shall die. In the very, the very reality of man eating from the fruit, he should have died right away. Probation should have closed. There should have been no more time for man. But God, in his wonderful providence, in his, in his, his forethought, he planned. In fact, let's read that. I want you to go with me very quickly to Revelation for a moment. Revelation, though it is a prophetic book, actually takes us back in time. In Revelation chapter 13, look at verse number 8. The Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from when, my friends? From the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God was slain from the what? From the foundation of of the world. So there is a plan of salvation already afoot. When man bites from that fruit and he sin comes into the world, the plan of salvation goes into effect and man does not immediately die. In fact, probation now is extended so man can test out his new wares, if you will. Again, I ask you the question, how's it working out? I mean, the sin that we practice, the one that we love, how's that working out for us? God is allowing us to practice it, you know. It is his permissive hand that allows us to do so that we can come to a place where we say, you know what? No more sin. It brings too much pain, too much sorrow. But let's go a little bit further. I want to read to you, and I'm going to share my screen here with you. I want to read to you something. It's from the book Education. And I want you to see this here. Share my screen. All right, so it's from the book Education, and it says, and it's page 23, paragraph 2, it says, It was the will of God that Adam and Eve should not know evil. Now, we already proved that, right? I already showed you from Genesis 2, 19-17, that that was the will of God. He did not desire us to know evil. However, watch this. The knowledge of good had been freely given them. But the knowledge of evil, now watch how it is qualified, of sin and its results, of wearying toil, of anxious care, of disappointment and grief, of pain and death, this was in love withheld. You follow that? So... Before sin comes into the world, God literally holds back the knowledge of evil. What is the knowledge of evil? Sin and its results. Wearying toil, anxious care, disappointment, grief, pain, death. My friends, do you feel those things today? I mean, even today as I'm, I was in my office and I'm 
preparing and I'm planning and I'm praying. I'm asking God for deliverance from all my other situations. Anxiousness is pressing upon me. Disappointment with decisions I've made is pressing upon me. These things are a result of sin. And brothers and sisters, there are many in this world that are seeking to escape from anxious care and disappointment and pain and death. But there is no escape from this reality except through yielding back to the eternal principles that God has put before us. So it was God's intent that we would never know evil. It was his intent. It was his purpose. God, man, God, God didn't want that for us. In the condition which we were created in, perfection, no need for that. No need for that type of environment. All right? Let's go a little bit further. I want to let's go back to our study. Now, stay with me on this. According to what we read above or earlier, evil is withheld out of love. We don't need the experience of evil initially because we are living holy, pure, righteous lives. There's no sin in our experience. However, something happens. And let's jump ahead to Genesis chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Genesis chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Watch this. Genesis 3, verses 3 through 5. Genesis 3 is the fall of man, right? This is the temptation that comes upon man. And there's something that transpires in the experience of man that brings them to a place of being fallen. Verses three, verse 3 says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. This is the serpent speaking to the woman. For God doth know, and, and verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely, what's it say? Die. So the woman is speaking to the serpent. The serpent speaks back and says, You will not surely die. The woman is quoting, as, as best as she has in her mind, God's word. He's quoting God's word to Lucifer. Lucifer speaks back to her and says, God didn't really say that. You won't surely die. He didn't say, it's kind of like, you know, he didn't say it directly. It's kind of like inference. You're going to die, but surely die. Oh, no, no, there's something going on here. Look at verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing what? Good and evil. Mm. You will be as God's knowing good and evil? Wait. Remember, it was God's intent that man will never know evil. Here, Lucifer is panning it off as this, this is something that is good. Like to know evil would be a good thing for, for Eve to get into. Now, let's for a moment, I need you to back up for a second because I need you to hear what I'm about to say. Eve had no intent to be evil. She was not in rebellion against God. Eve wanted to be like God. You understand? That was her objective. Her objective was to be like God. You will be as God's knowing good and evil. That is her objective. The issue with her objective is that the way to be like God wasn't according to how Lucifer said to do it. 
And I want to stay on this point for a moment. I'm going to stay here for a second because I think sometimes we get it twisted. I think we think that we have to do egregious evil or some strange phenomenon of, of disobedience in order to break God's law. No, that is not what's required. In fact, let me give you a, a, another example so you can follow along. Remember Abraham? The first his name was Abram. Then, he named, then his name was changed to Abraham. God promised him a child. You guys remember that story? When God promises him, promises him a child, he is up there in age, and he's trying to figure out, well, man, I'm old. I can't do this on my own. There must be some other means. So he comes up with several ideas, one of them being Eliezer, his, his, his uh, right-hand man. Maybe Eliezer is the one that's supposed to be my, the one that carries forward my seat. God says, no, it's not him. Then he comes up with this other idea. Maybe, or Sarah comes up with it, and then Abraham agrees to it. Maybe it's the handmaid Hagar, because Sarah says she's old. I can't produce. So let, let's help God fulfill his promise to us. Stay with me. Let's help God fulfill his promise to us. You know, my friends, I think this is where I've gotten in the most trouble. You know, I read things from inspiration. I'm like, yeah, we're going to do that. That right there, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. And then in my own intellect, and in my own strength, I'm trying to figure out how to make it happen. Instead of just yielding to what inspiration says. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. In fact, I dare say it's happened to most everybody. At least the ones that are seeking to follow God. You know, so Abraham, God tells him, you're going to have a child. Abraham, of his own flesh, tries to figure out how it's going to happen. And in my doing so, he has a child that is a bond, of the bondwoman, which becomes a symbol of righteousness by works. Okay? I'm getting to heaven by my own efforts. I'm making God's promise be fulfilled by my own uh, energies. You follow? And so when Sarah has a child, it is by supernatural phenomenon. Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 90. They're, they bring forth this child. When the child is brought forth, in fact, before the child is brought forth, God tells Abraham, or after the child is brought forth, God tells Abraham, you need to be circumcised. Now, why does God tell Abraham to be circumcised? Because the flesh was a symbol of man's own works. And his own righteousness. And God says, cut it off. I don't need your help in this case. I need you to believe the promise. Are you following so far, my friends? I need you to believe the promise. So Eve, in the garden, she wants to be like God. She has every intent. Her motive is pure. There is no ill in her mind. All that's happening now is she's following the wrong word. She has a miseducation taking place. How do I bring happiness into my home? Oh, I, I, I guess I'll do this. I'll do this. So do this and bring it to your home, and it brings more sorrow and pain. Oh, I, I, I want to be more healthy. So you follow all sorts of trends of health that are not according to the word of God, and then you have other complications that present themselves. Oh, I, I, I want to run my business this way, and then you run your business in this way, and then people are being hurt and trampled upon, and things are not going the way they should be going. You see, my friends, we are trying to fulfill the promise with our own flesh. And it's interesting, but the more I think about this, when it comes down to the end of time, all mankind is trying to do is bring peace in the world. That's all they're trying to do, but they're doing it in their own flesh. They're doing it with their own rules. They're doing it according to their own word. The same issue that Eve has. She's trying to fulfill something 
that God never told her to do that way. The devil tricks her. In fact, he says to her, verse number five, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now for a moment, I want you to see that text, right? You see that text, uh, verse number five? I want us to jump all the way down. And I want us to go to verse number 22. Pay attention. Verse 22 says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as, what's it say? One of us. Well, how does man become like one of us? What's it say? To know what? Good and what? Evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Interesting. Well, the serpent said, if you eat from the tree, you're going to know good and evil. The passage says, God himself says they've eaten from the tree and they know good and evil like we do. We can't let them eat from the tree of life. Now, now, this is interesting. This is another question. It's, it's like swirling in my brain cells because I wasn't thinking about this earlier today. But think about this for a moment. Why is it safe for God to know good and evil and not as safe for man to know good and evil? Because God knows good and evil and God is pure. He's righteous. He's never chosen evil in all his experience. It's, it's as if, and if you could just have a sanctified imagination with me, he's seen the end from the beginning. He knows what the results of evil will be. And he's saying, I don't want them to know evil. Remember, Jesus, from the foundation of the world, he was slain. Now his knowledge of evil from the foundation of the world was there. And it's interesting. When you read through the book Education, it says the cross was a revelation to our dull senses, dull senses of what God had been experiencing from the beginning of time. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses. So now manifested in time, Jesus is suffering on the cross, but that suffering on the cross has been the suffering of God. And I dare say, my friends, he's suffering even today because evil still exists. And who bears the brunt and the burden of this evil? Listen to me. The wage of sin is what? Death. Do you know that we are borrowing off the life of God to experience evil? Mm. Y'all not hearing it. You got to think about what I just said. Like literally, in order for a person to fornicate, they have to use God's life in order to go fornicate. God is giving them time to go do that on his life so that they can figure out fornication is not all that is crapped up to be. You, you, you follow? Like we're borrowing life from God. I'm speaking right now. I'm speaking. This life is God's life. He's literally bearing the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of this world. There is not one child that is molested that God does not feel that pain. There is not one woman that's abused that God does not feel that pain. There is not one man that's abused that God does not feel that pain. God feels every pain and every sorrow and every heartache that is present in this world. And the question is, my friends, will we help him stop feeling that pain? That's the question. It was God's intent that we would never know evil, but now we know evil. 
And the question is, have you had enough? How's that working out for you is the question. So in this attack, Lucifer directly attacked God's word. Did God say, half God said, you will not surely die. He's attacking the very source of education, the word of God. He's insinuating that you cannot trust God. I want to share something else with you. I'm going to let me share this. There's a quote here I want to want you to look at. Pay attention to this, my friends. So here, this is again from the book Education, page 24, paragraph 2. It says, here was falsehood. Pay attention to this, brothers and sisters. Here was falsehood so concealed under a covering of apparent truth that Eve, infatuated, flattered, beguiled, did not discern the deception. She coveted what God had forbidden. She distrusted his wisdom. She cast away faith, the key of knowledge. Now there's a lot there. So for a moment, I just want you to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to eat this very, very slowly. So here Eve is in the garden and she, when it says she coveted what God had forbidden, what had God forbidden? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. So now she's desiring something that she really doesn't understand what she's desiring. Not understanding that the whole world is about to be thrown into a confusion because she's on her own, doing her own thing. She's coveting what God said, don't covet. She distrusted his wisdom. How do we know she distrusted his wisdom? Because God said, don't eat it. She says, well, maybe it's not so bad. Huh? Do you see it? Do you see it? She cast away faith. Well, how do we know she cast away faith? Because when she decided to do opposite of what the word said to do, she cast away the key that would give her true knowledge. The true knowledge of wealth, the true knowledge of life and strength, the true knowledge of happiness in the world. And this is a danger for all of us, my friends. God tells us, leave that alone. And I'm saying that as being broad, but you know what God told you to leave alone. And God is speaking to us on a personal level, and he's saying, leave it alone. And you're like, eh, just a little bit more. It's not that bad. I only do this so many times a month. It's not like, a brothers and sisters, we have to remember, the purpose of education is to restore the image of God in man. That is the intent and purpose of God's word. So let's look at this. So the Lucifer flatters. Now, there's a couple of passages here that I want you to take a look at. I want you to take a look at because we need to be careful of being flattered. You see there Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 24. The Bible says to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom keeps us away from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. It, I don't know if I know if if you're a brother and you're listening to what I'm saying right now, then you know that when a woman flatters you, there's something that goes on inside. I don't know. It's just like ooh, you start feeling all big. You know, they can say all sorts of things. That's why it's so powerful when a wife encourages her husband. It's like he could he feels like Superman. He could take over the world. And then there's flattery that comes from a strange woman. A strange woman is a woman that you don't know. 
It's a woman that's not your wife. That's not the one that's in your in your covenant relationship. That one you must beware of, the Bible says. Flattery is dangerous. But Lucifer is flattering Eve at the at the at the tree. Notice what it says in Psalms 12, 2. They speak vanity, everyone his neighbor, with flattery lips, and with a double heart do they speak. Mm. Verse 3, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. So tell me, does God like when people are flattering in a way to puff up people and to make them proud and arrogant? The answer is no. In fact, he's going to cut them off. Notice what Proverbs 20 and verse 19 says. Proverbs 20 and verse 19 says, he that goeth about as a talebearer, revealeth secrets. Now, where talebearer simply is a whisperer, a gossiper. That's the type of person that this is talking about. Then it says, therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Now, brothers and sisters, let me just throw this out there real quick. It's the same flattering lips that were in the courts of heaven that deceived one third of the angels. When people gossip to you, trust me when I tell you, they are gossiping about you too. You hear me? It is a, is a, it is, if a person has the ability to come to you and talk about you, I mean, talk about someone to you behind that other person's back, I promise you that person is gossiping about you to somebody else. Do not listen to gossip. Run from it. Do not entertain it. Do not make it a part of your life. It has broken up homes. It has broken up churches. It has broken up all sorts of friendships because people don't know how to keep their lips. Mm. It caused a war in heaven, my friends. Beware of the flatterer. You know, I, I, there's a there's a, a program or a audio series and a book called Pilgrim's Progress written by John Bunyan. And one of the characters in there is called the flatterer. And the flatterer will get you all caught up in all sorts of traps. Beware of people that speak highly of you to your face and puff you up. Be, can't, beware of that. He that rebuketh a man out afterwards will find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Proverbs 28 and verse 23. And Proverbs 29 verse 5 says, A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. Are you hearing this? You guys remember the story? And we're, we're probably going to do this on, I believe we're going to be in Daniel 5 on, on, on Wednesday. But in Daniel 5, we'll cover it again. But in Daniel 5, these great men of the earth come to the king and say to him, oh, king, you're a great man. <laughs> you should be the ruler over, all th all, over everyone. No one should be worshipped except for you these 30 days. And because they flattered him, what did they do? They spread a net to entrap him and to entrap Daniel. Beware of the flatterers, my friends. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Watch what the Bible says. It says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. 
so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul is writing, and Paul is saying, just like the woman was beguiled, she was tricked, she was deceived. Eve was deceived, Adam was not. Adam knew exactly what he was doing when he ate the fruit. That's why, and again, we'll get to this in another moment, but that's why when Eve eats from the fruit, sin doesn't come into the world right away. But when Adam eats from the fruit, being the king of the home, the king of the family, sin comes in and boom, humanity has this problem even to this very day. So my question is, my question is, why would faith be the key of knowledge? Now, what is a key? Just a, a just a observation. What is a key for? A key, you use a key to unlock something, right? A key normally gives you access. Something's locked, you put a key in, it opens. And there's so several types of keys, right? But at the end of the day, a key is for access. So faith is the key of knowledge. Are you with me? So if I want to unlock knowledge, if I want to unlock the knowledge that is most important, that has the most, the most eternal realities to it, I must have faith. So let's look at this. I want to look at a couple of verses, then we're going to define what faith is. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Look at this. Proverbs chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 7. Proverbs 1. And verse 7, watch carefully what the Bible says. Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, what's it say? Knowledge. Remember now, faith is the key of what? Knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. The Bible says, For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now, what does this have to do with the key of faith? Now, knowledge is a knowledge of who? It's a knowledge of God. So when I, le when I learn to fear God, and when I say fear God, it means this. I see him, I acknowledge the reality of what he is. He is awesome, he is great, he is pure, he is righteous, he is holy, he is undefiled, he is separate from sinners, he is, he is magnanimous light, he is, he is all love. I mean, we can go on and on and on with the descriptions for who God is. Now, when I acknowledge who God is, not just intellectually, but faith says, I put my trust in what the word declares God is, when I do that, there is almost like a, how do I say? Like a, like a, a chemical reaction. So let's say you have God's, God's word over here and you have you over here. Faith is the key. Just like the woman that touched the hem of his garment, here's the hem of his garment. She believed that she, he could heal her. She touches the hem of his garment and there's a chemical reaction. Power, virtue, leaves him and goes into the woman. Faith is the key. Once faith touches the word, there's energy, power, light, strength. Whatever that word says it is, it becomes a reality, my friends. Are you following me? 
Proverbs 9, verse 10. Watch this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9, 10 says this. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Because now, my friends, as we're processing, as we're going through this process together, I'm looking at what's happening to Eve. What is happening to Eve? What's going on with her? The word of God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the word of God. She decides not to put faith in that word, but she puts faith in the education of something else. Stay with me. She puts faith in the education and the word of something else. And when she does that, there's no life there. In fact, death begins to come in because she's now trusting in a source that has no life in it. She's trusting in the source that has no life in it, so no power. Death now becomes a part of the human race, and the same thing happens for us as believers. When we take hold of Jesus, we take hold of his word, life and energy and strength. When we let go of him, distress, sorrow, all these things come upon us, and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to go on. We feel like we're stressing out. We're like, ah, that's what's happening. But when I put my hand on Jesus and I have a hold on him, I can walk on water, spiritually speaking, right? With Jesus in the vessel, we can smile at the storm, right? It's peace that passes all understanding, right? These are experiences of true believers in God's word. When you put your faith in him, then there's this new creature that develops. When we lose faith, we try to solve our problems on our own. It is impossible to be a Christian without Jesus. Can I say it again? Because I think sometimes we miss this. I'm not talking about the knowledge of Jesus, intellectual ascent. I'm talking about the experience of God and putting my faith in his word and knowing that his word does manifest and it is true. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and his what righteousness that that's where my faith lies but let's go a little bit further with this i want to i want to take you somewhere else i want to show you something else here let me let me let me go down i want i want you to, to go with me in your bibles and let's look carefully at faith for a moment i know you know what it is but it's always good to make sure it's in the forefront of our mind go to hebrews chapter 11 hebrews the 11th chapter we're looking at verse number one Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 1, and I actually want you to see how I highlighted it here, so let me let me show you my screen. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and verse 1. You see that? And those of you who are listening on podcasts, listen carefully. I will emphasize what I underlined and what I wrote. It says, now faith is the substance. That's underlined. Substance is underlined of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen wait did you get that let me read it again now faith is the substance of things hoped for 
It is the evidence, both substance and evidence are underlined, the evidence of things not seen. So hope for and things not seen are both in red, meaning that they are the same. What I hope for and things not seen, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what, I don't see it. It's not quite yet manifested, but it, I'm hoping for it. But faith is the substance of. Brothers, I'm telling you, we're going to hammer this one in. Stay with me. Verse 6 says of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the only way to please God is to have faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Wait, so I'll put it like this. Let's just say I, I, I meet Jesus, right? And you remember reading, there's a passage in, 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 in the Gospels where Jesus goes to his own town and he cannot do any miracles in that town because they had no faith, they had no trust in him. And this is the same thing. Like you can read the Bible and you don't have faith in it. And somebody says, oh, it's just another book. And they read it without faith and it does nothing for them. But the one that reads the word of God and puts their trust in God's word and puts their weight on God's word, that person receives vitality and strength and hope and cheer and grace because the word now can be made manifest because you put your faith in the word. Stay with me. Stay with me. Faith is the key of knowledge. The key of knowledge, the key of knowledge, the knowledge of God. God is in charge of all things. He has God has the knowledge in regards to family. God has the knowledge in regards to finance. God has the knowledge in regards to business. God has the knowledge in regards to science. God has the knowledge in all things. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. So if you know God, you have the key. And then as you are in fellowship with him, he reveals these realities in our experience with him. But Eve dismissed God's word and she used something else instead of the word. Now, again, let me see now. I want to do this. Romans 10, verse 17, then I'm going to change my screen a little bit. So in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, so faith, so then faith, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. I'll read it one more time. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right. Stay with me right now. Pause for a moment. I'm going to come out of this. And I'm going to draw something for you. I'm going to try to do my, my thingamajigger here. Let me show you this here. I'm going to bring my board out of hiding. And I am going to share my drawing board. Okay. So let's, let's put together a little bit of mathematics, okay? So faith is substance it is evidence now somebody says well if faith is substance and faith is evidence what is the difference between this faith 
and me having faith in my wife or me having faith in my car or me having faith because this faith that the Bible is here speaking of is based on word of God. You see that? The only reason why faith is substance is because it's based on this declaration. And that declaration of the word of God. Let me see if I can change the color. Oh, yeah. God cannot lie. You see that? So faith is substance. Why is it substance? Why is it evidence? Because it's based on God's word. I'm not talking about having faith in your mom or your dad. That's not what I'm talking about because they're going to let you down. I tell my, I'll tell my daughter, if she's listening right now, mom and dad are going to let you down. It is the nature of men to let other people down. That's what happens in our experience. We try not to, but inevitably, somehow, some way, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we let him down. Your, your boss is going to let you down. Your, your, your spouse is going to let you down. That happens. But what does not let you down is God's word. Are you following? So God's word, he cannot lie. That's why faith is the substance. So faith is dependent upon the word to do what it says it's going to do. And when you put your faith in the word, it is as good as done. When Jesus says, I'm coming back again, done. When Jesus says, I am going to die on Calvary, I'm going to die for the sins of man. Before the foundation of the world, what does it say? The lamb was slain. Why, could it, why does it say that? Because when God made the covenant to do that, he cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. So God's word is sure. It is powerful. So what does the devil seek to do? He seeks to disconnect us from faith. He said, nah, I need to move you off of this. I need to disconnect your faith from there. And I want you to put your faith on this. Watch what I want to show you. Body. Mind. Soul. Wait. Weren't we made in the image of God? Body, mind, and soul? Yes, we were. So what the devil says, I want to do, he says, I want to disconnect your faith from God's word, and I want you to put your faith in this. Self. Mm. You don't believe me? Some of y'all don't believe me. All right, give me a second. Let me show you something. See if I can tap out of this. All right, I'm going to tap out of that. I'm going to show you something. Stay with me. Let me put this back in hibernation for a second. Let me put this here. Let me show you something, my friends. Stay with me. We're thinking right now. So there's a passage that I want to go to, and it is found. Let me share this with you. And you guys, you don't mind if we're studying, right? This is, this is my, I'm not trying to entertain you guys. This is a study. So watch this. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 6, the Bible says, watch. Genesis 3, in verse 6. The Bible says, and when the woman saw 
the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. You guys see that? So the object here is the devil has got Eve to stop looking at the word and she's now trusting in her own sensory perceptions, right? Her own thinking. It's good for food. That's her body. That it's uh, a des desirable. What does it say? Let me read it one more time. It's pleasant to the eyes. Well, what you see with your eyes, you process in your mind, right? So what you see with your eyes, you process in your mind, you, you make a rational uh, calculation. And then it says, uh, and one, and a, and a tree to de desire to make one wise, she took of it. So now to make one wise. So it goes from the mind to now wisdom is actually of God, right? So wisdom is of God. That's from God himself. That's a spiritual thing. Body, mind, soul. She's attacked on all three fronts. She's trusting to her own understanding. And as she's trusting to her own understanding, she's now separated from the world. I mean, from the word. And she's now trusting in her flesh. Stay with me. I'm sure. Listen, like uh, it's funny because I feel like I should be. <laughs> listen to what I'm saying. When Eve is at this tree, the devil separates her from what God says, and he focuses her on what she sees with her eyes, what she thinks in her mind, and what she perceives will benefit her on a spiritual level. One that makes her wise. Wisdom itself comes from God. So she's she's processing this like this. And I said to myself, man, how many times do we do this ourselves? Our whole world, especially the antagonistic, atheistic component of our world says, I need to see it. I need to touch it. I need to test it. It needs to be empirical. If it's empirical, then I can, then I know it's true. That's not how God work, God's word works. Though the scientific method is important. Yes, we don't deny that in any way, shape or form. I'm saying there's a limit to that. There's a limit. There's a point in which God says, I created the world. Were you there? No. And even if you do scientific experiments, you still don't know. Even if you say evolution, you weren't there either. You know, like there's a limit. And it's hard for us as humanity to accept the reality that there is a limit. So therefore, I must lean not to my own understanding. In all my ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct our steps. But you know what it takes to, 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 to come to that place where in all of our ways we acknowledge him? Like that's going to take some super humility. That's going to take some super denial. Like I don't, I don't want to give up this. I, I enjoy this. This is fun. And, my, and God says, my child, I got something better for you. There's something more pleasant. There's a, a higher space that you should be in. And you're, you're, you're eating crumbs right now where you can be eating from the master's table. I hope I'm, I'm hope I'm you're following me. I hope you're following. Let's take a look at a couple of verses. Let's 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 go to a couple of verses. I want you to go to 1 John 2 16. 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Actually, start at verse 15 for context. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You guys see that? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, this is not of the Father, this is of the world, but this is how the world functions. It's an attack on body, mind, and soul. Let's go a little further. Matthew chapter four. Matthew, book of Matthew. Matthew chapter four. Look with me at verses one through 11. Matthew four, verses one through 11. The Bible says, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward of hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So here in this very first attack, the devil attacks the identity of Jesus. And he also says, turn the stones into bread. Why stones into bread? Because stones in the bread have to do with physical pain, right? Physical hunger. Turn these stones into bread. He's tempted in the body. Of course, Jesus answered him, verse 4, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is where Eve fell, my friend. She fell right here. She was living by her feelings, what she saw with her eyes, what she felt with her mind and her, her own supposed spiritual ascent. Verse four says, then the devil taketh him up into a holy city and sitteth him on the pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. What is he attacking here? He's attacking the mind. What is he, why, how is he attacking the mind? He's attacking the mind the whole way, but in this one particularly. He said, yo, throw yourself down. Aren't you the son of God? Aren't you the one that God has brought into the world so to save mankind? Uh, why don't you just throw yourself down? God will bear you up. Doesn't the Bible say that? See, the devil knows scripture too. That is why we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because there are unrenewed minds that are using the scripture to cause destruction amongst the people of God. Everybody that quotes a verse and knows a quote from the prophet doesn't mean that they are of God. We must, brothers and sisters, are you, are you watching how the devil moves? He's making a temptation on the flesh. Now he's moving to the mind of, of, of Jesus saying, hey, if you're really the son of God, throw yourself down. God's going to take care of you. Lean not to your own understanding. Jesus quotes back scripture to him and says, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. What does he mean? Jesus is speaking. Don't be presumptuous. Number one, I'm not going to be presumptuous on God. And number two, don't. Jesus himself is God. Then watch verse eight. Again, the devil taking them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and uh, what's it say? Worship me. Mm. Now he's attacking the soul. Now listen. Each one of these temptations, they weren't sleep with a prostitute. They weren't 
shoot drugs in your veins. They were not that, but they were under the category of those things, but they were none of those things. Temptation does not need to be overtly evil for it to be wrong. All it needs to do is divert you from what the word of God says. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's all it needs to do. It just needs to divert you. It doesn't need to be straight evil. It doesn't need to be like you're sucking blood out of someone's neck. That is not the only thing that's wrong. There are things that are wrong, not because they are overtly evil. It's simply because God said, do this, and you're deciding to do that. Hmm. I hope you're following. I hope you're staying with me. And when the body is not in subjection, then the mind cannot be in subjection. One is sensitive to the other. You must bring all into subjection, body, mind, and soul. Subject to what? The word of God. What does the word of God say? How we should, how does, what does the word of God teach in regards to taking care of our bodies and our minds and our souls? That is our safeguard. That is our safeguard. Let me share this with you now. You can see what I see. Let's look here. All right. So here I have lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And underneath, I have underneath lust of the flesh, I have saw it was good for food. That's that's lust of the flesh. Told Jesus, turn these stones into bread. That's lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes, right? The other one is cast thyself down. God will save you. This, this is how it has to do with the mind. This is the intellect. You're observing something. You're reasoning something through. You're coming to a place where you're going to make a decision. And it seems like a great decision to you. But you don't want to submit to it because you think you know better. God is giving us warning here, brothers and sisters. Pride of life. What do you mean? Desirable to make one wise. That's Wisdom is a spiritual matter. Just so you are clear throughout all of scripture. Wisdom is connected with God's law. God's law is his character. Wisdom is connected with that. But the pride of life removes God from the throne and sets self in that throne. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And here, the devil tempts Jesus, bow down and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, mind you, why is that a temptation to Jesus? Because Jesus wanted all the kingdoms of the world, but he was not going to get all the kingdoms of the world the way the devil said to get it. See, the easy thing would have been to bow down and he would have no cross for him, no suffering for him. But no, Jesus says, I will go the route that my father says go. I must go to the cross. Are you hearing what I'm saying, brothers and sisters? You see, our souls are in danger because we want the ease of this life. But God says no ease here. There is a cross for us to bear. As believers, there is a cross. You say, but there has to be a better way than a cross. And the flesh will say that. Jesus himself was going through that in the Garden of Gethsemane. When all the sins of the world are pressing upon him, there is this pressure in his mind. There has to be a better way. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But if not, thy will be done. That is a hard place to come to, brothers and sisters. It's interesting that we watch this transpire as Jesus is, is 
in the garden, I mean, in the wilderness, he's making a decision like this to the point nearly of dying. And just before he goes and goes to Calvary, he makes a decision like this where he is willing to give up his own preferred method of living and submitting to what God has designed in his death. Mm, mm, mm. I want to read this quotation to you again. This is from Education, page 25, paragraph 2. It says, there was nothing poisonous in the fruit itself. And the sin was not merely in yielding to appetite. Oh, I said, oh, that's interesting. That's insightful. Watch what it says. It was distrust of God's goodness, disbelief of his word, and rejection of his authority that made our first parents transgressors and that brought into the world a knowledge of evil. Mercy. It was this that opened the door to every species of falsehood and error. Are you following? Is it making sense? It, 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 it's as I'm reading this, I'm saying, okay, it's not just appetite. It's literally her issue was disbelief in God's word. That was the great sin at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Disbelief, separation, trusting to her own senses, her own intellect. Adam, trusting to his own senses, his own intellect. When this comes to him, he doesn't say, you know what? Let's take it to God. Maybe he has a solution. No, 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 no. Adam reasons in his own mind. Not trusting to the character of the of the God of the universe and decides to die. Not even knowing what death was. <laughs> Mercy. Paragraph three says, by the mingling of evil with good, his mind had become confused. His mental and spiritual powers benumbed. No longer. Could he appreciate the good that God had so freely bestowed? Y'all see that? Therefore, and now this is me talking to you. Therefore, the perfect Garden of Eden was no longer an appropriate place for them to live. For in order to transform their characters, and re-educate them after the character of God, they had to be moved out of the garden and put in more hard areas. Why? Because when they were put in a more hard area, in fact, let me share this. Let me go back for a second. Let me share this. I, I actually put this up here. Look at this. You see this? You see before the fall, after fall? Remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about... Uh, the for, the first uh, educational model, and we said that the Garden of Eden was the first schoolroom, according to Genesis 2, verses 8 through 11. We said that nature, and nature at that time before the fall was only good, and it's less, it was the lesson book. Nature was the lesson book, according to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. 
And the teacher was the creator, right? He's the teacher. He's the one that's in the garden. They're naming names. They're, they're organizing everything. He's the teacher. And Adam and Eve, unfallen, were the first students in the garden. Now, after the fall, something had to change. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, and also verse 23, Adam and Eve are taken out of the perfect Garden of Eden, and they're put in the earth where the curse of sin is resting. Okay? Sin is now prevalent in nature. That's now the classroom. Nature has in it both good and evil. There's a rose and there are thorns on the rose. Are you following? There's a rose and there are thorns on the rose. There's education, there's beauty, and there's pain. Suffering is necessary. Now, why? Listen to me carefully. Because if there were no suffering, we would not realize where evil is tending. Because if God allowed for the results of sin to hit immediately, death would be there and there would be no opportunity for us to turn from evil and turn back to God. That was done in love. Because he could, he could have just wiped us out. He could have been done, done, finish. But no, in love, God says, I'm going to allow for a rose to have thorns. I'm going to allow for imperfections to exist so that we can come to a place where we say, we don't like this order of things. Let's be restored. Let's be put back. You see, if we were in the Garden of Eden in its perfection and we were still in our sinful state, we would not learn the lessons that we need to learn in order to overcome. But because our natures changed, our classroom changed. Are you hearing me? Because our nature changed, our lesson book changed because our nature changed. Our teacher was no longer just the creator. Our teacher had to become the redeemer. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The redeemer, the re-educator had to bring us back to a place where we now understand, no, this is not after the order of God. Yes, I need to trust what the word of God says. Not to my own understanding, not to my own logic, not to my own ed education, not just what I see with my own eyes. Everything changed after the fall. Education changed after the fall. So what is God, what is God trying to do? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to do? Stay with me now. What is he trying to do? Let's go. Let's open our Bibles. Open our Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to bring this to an end. Hebrews chapter 2. And we're looking at verse number nine, and we're going to move fast but slow, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Hebrews chapter two. And the good thing I like about this, I know that there are people that are watching that are watching the whole way through. And I know there are people that are coming in and out. So I can go as long as I need to go. And it's being recorded. So you can always download it on our podcast or you can rewatch it on the Facebook page. But we're going to take our time because there's so little Bible study taking place among the people of God. Lots of preaching, but not true Bible study, not understanding what's happening. So I'm going to take my time. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, look, but we see Jesus. Who do we see? Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he 
Jesus, by the grace of God, should taste death for how many men, brothers and sisters? For every man. That every man means every man. Every man, woman, boy, girl, child. Taste death for all of them. Okay? Taste death for every man. Watch. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto, what's it say? Unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Interesting. So the role of Jesus, at least in this passage, is that he's going to make the He's going to restore man back to glory, back to his place of dominion. But in order to be restored back to glory, he must fix our nature. Go to verse 17, verse 17. The Bible says, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. What does that mean? That he's, he's able to help. He's able to strengthen. He's able to encourage. He knows what it means to be tempted in body, mind, and soul. And in all points, he is tempted like as we are, and he did not sin one time. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Notice what the Bible says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in, what's it say? All points tempted like as we are, what's, then it says, yet without sin. Mm. All points, what are the points? Tempted, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It doesn't mean that he had every temptation that we had, but his temptations were greater in magnitude than any temptation that you and I could ever have. And he's tempted in the same three areas that we're tempted in, and he's able to succor, and he knows your struggle. He knows your pain. The question is, will you trust him to save you? Do you trust what the word of God says, where it says that he's able to help you? He's, he's been touched. He is our high priest. He is standing boldly. And this is verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain, what's it say? Mercy and find grace when? In time of need. Grace to help when? In time of need. Question, do you have a need right now? Do you have a struggle right now? Is there a sin that is holding you down right now? You know, brothers and sisters, I, I got to be 100 with you. There are times literally where I've said to God, I don't want victory today. I said it. Now, you might say you said it with your mouth. I don't have to say it with my mouth. I say it by my own actions. Because if I lean on God's word, there is no sin, no temptation that comes to me. 
that heaven does not provide victory for. That he does not provide his blood for. So what happens is I literally have to say to God, I don't trust your word right now. I don't want to lean upon your word right now. I want to do my own thing. Because the reality is those who put their faith in God, they put their weight on God. God will give them strength, brothers and sisters. Notice Romans, Romans. It's time to wrap this up. Romans. Look at this. Acts Romans. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 28. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 28. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called, who are the called according to his purpose. Oh, I don't want to get distracted. That purpose is, is, is so deep. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Wait. So this is the purpose where Jesus came for those he did for no, he desired for them to be conformed to the image of his son and restoration of the image of the son. Then we can be restored to the garden of Eden before the fall. Without the restoration of the image of his son in us, we cannot be put back in the garden because the garden wouldn't be good for us. But there comes a point when we learn our lesson. Go to Colossians, Colossians, Colossians. Oh, my friends, I pray you're studying with me. I pray that you're you're following through with these texts, writing them down. Those of you who are listening, you're going to get this lesson in the morning, so this will be sent to you. Um, those of you listening via webinar, you'll get this lesson. If you're just listening through Facebook, you need to send me your email address so I can send you this. It says in verse Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Huh. Ultimately, what's, what's going to happen? God wants to restore his son in us, the character of his son, the power of the Holy Ghost in our experience. You see, without this, none of us will enter into the new Jerusalem. None of us will be able to eat from that tree of life. Revelation chapter 21. Go there. Go there. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, looking at verses 24 through 27. Watch what the Bible says. And this is talking about the new Jerusalem, the new city coming down from heaven. Revelation 21, 24 through 27. The Bible says, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring in their glory and honor into it. Speaking of the temple of God. And the gates of it shall not be shut all by day, for there shall be no night there, praise God. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise, listen to this, listen to this. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh they what a lie but they which are written in the lamb's book of life do you see it my friends that as we are entering into the closing scenes of our history and god is going to set up his eternal kingdom 
that kingdom will have nothing unclean in it, but he has to get his children to the place where they are clean themselves. Revelation 22. Revelation 22. Listen to this. Revelation 22, verses 14 through 15. The Bible says, Blessed are they that do his commandments. In another version, it says, Blessed are they that wash their robes, that they may have a right, that they may have a right, come on now, that they might have a right to the tree of life. Y'all didn't hear, did you hear what that just said? It says that they have a right to it. You see, Adam and Eve, when they bit from the fruit, no, 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 from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, no right. Lock them out, throw them out the garden. But now those who wash their robes, those who keep God's commandments, God says they have a right to the tree of life. Praise God. They have a right to the tree of life and may enter into and may enter in through the gates into the city. Watch verse 15. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Man, that's deep. So watch this for a second. When God gives Adam and Eve their, their curse, I put curse in quotation marks. Eve has to bear children in pain. Why bear children in pain? This is a symbol of what's going to be necessary for the church in order for it to have its own salvation. We have to go through the struggle, my friend. You cannot avoid the struggle. If you're a Christian and seeking to avoid the struggle, you are avoiding your education. You cannot avoid the struggle. What happens with, with Adam? He has to till the ground with the sweat of his brow. He has to work. You can't avoid work, brothers and sisters. Work is necessary for us. It is a quote unquote, and I will I, I don't want to say necessary evil, but I'm gonna use it. It is a necessary pain. It is a necessary struggle to bring us to a place where we recognize sin is no good. Last verse. Genesis 3:15. I want to end here because this is such a powerful promise. If understood properly. Genesis 3.15. This is after God begins to put the curse on the serpent. And he speaks to the serpent. He says this. I will put enmity. Now what is enmity? The word is hatred, right? I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. Now Genesis 3.15 is a messianic prophecy. In other words, it's a prophecy that is foretelling the Messiah coming and the work of the Messiah. For instance, it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Who's the it? The seed. The seed being Jesus Christ, we being his body. When we cooperate with him, we will crush the head of the serpent. But that's not the study right now. But it says, I will put enmity. What is this enmity? This enmity that God is putting between the woman and the serpent, the woman is a symbol of the church, and the church and the serpent are not supposed to get along. But you see, my friends, 
there is a confederacy developing where there are persons and people and organizations who would believe the lie of the devil and work with him. So God says, I'm going to do something supernatural. God says, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to put hatred in the heart of the woman towards the serpent. You see, the woman and the serpent were having a conversation. Everything was good. Not no more. You see? Ah, last verse to explain this idea. Romans 8. Watch carefully. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, that's the body, my friends. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that's his body, my friends. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. Watch verse six. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Watch this, verse seven. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Why can't they please God? Because those who live in the flesh are not walking according to faith. They're not walking according to the word of God. They're walking according to their flesh. As Eve walked according to her flesh, as Adam walked according to his flesh, you cannot walk according to your own desires and your flesh and please God at the same time. You can't do it. So what does God promise? I will put enmity. I will put hatred. I will cause them to not like to listen to your word. I will cause them not to depend upon their own selves. I will cause them to look to me and to my word. And the church will become triumphant and they will be victorious. And there will be a people that love God and would rather die than break God's heart. Father, we want to be your children. We want to be children after your own heart. We, we want to hate sin like you hate sin. And I know, Father, even as I say it, my rebellious spirit refuses wants to refuse <laughs> to submit to the reality of your declared word. But Father, we pray the prayer, take our hearts for we cannot give them, they are your property. Keep them for we cannot keep them for thee. Save us from ourselves, our weak, unchristlike selves. And raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of your love can truly flow through our souls. Please, Father. There's nothing hid from your eyes. You know all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. 
Amen. Well, my friends, thank you so much for taking the time to study with me. Uh, God's word is so sweet. Please take the time to study on your own. Again, those of you who are listening via webinar, of course, your lesson's coming tomorrow morning. Those of you who are listening via Facebook, uh, please give me your email address, and I'll be happy to send the lesson to you as well. God bless you guys. You have a wonderful evening. Please keep me in your prayer. Prayers, I will pray for you. I'm actually praying for every single solitary name that I have in my in my um, email list. So just keep us in prayer. God bless you. Maranatha.